dun, 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 dun. Welcome back. I am finally covering the murder of Sarah Payne. As you've seen in the title or description, the thumbnail, remember I am huffing with Instagram, so there will be no episodes announcements this month until they stop shadow banning me. And for me time, I am very different today. I am drinking a certain much-loved legacy here in Ireland. It is a dark ale, which I love. And I am continuing to knit my cushion cover. I think I've already messed up. Oh, well. And I've got a little leopard print blanket on my legs. I don't know if you can see it. It was given to me by one of my Patreons because I love leopard print. I'm so tacky. (laughs) Okay, should we just start? Yeah? It was the early days of a hot summer holiday. Saturday, the 1st of July, 2000. Eight-year-old Sarah Payne and her two older brothers and one younger sister were visiting their grandfather in West Sussex, England. At about 8pm, Sarah got into a fight with her siblings. I'm not sure what this was over. It doesn't really matter, does it? You you would fight over anything when you were small. But at roughly 8pm, Sarah stormed away from her siblings, probably in a huff, uh, walking into the nearby cornfield. And like that, like we are straight into the story. She was gone. Um, Sarah went missing and her grandfather reported her missing immediately. Police were on the scene right away, but they had very little to go on. The only thing they had to go on was that Sarah's older brother, Lee, Lee said that he had spotted a white van and a silver car. He also said that he'd seen a scruffy looking man, probably in his 40s. He had been like driving by or like watching them. And that was it. That was all the information they had. No CCTV, no eyewitnesses. Um, that was it. And soon both the fire crew and police department spent the whole night searching for Sarah in the fields with no success. The next day, efforts were upped. They were escalated quickly. The next day, there were now 50 police officers and 80 volunteers looking for Sarah Payne. So all these people, like over 100 people, are looking for the child. Meanwhile, police officers interview the local known paedophiles. Like they have a list and they know top suspects. The day after Sarah Payne's disappearance, when the police were interviewing the paedophiles, one was arrested. Roy Whiting, a 42-year-old scruffy mechanic. He was a quiet loner who had already served time for abducting and raping a nine-year-old girl. The police knew that Roy was a dangerous pedophile. So they arrest him, but they, they have nothing really to go on. So he was released on bail like they had no evidence he was released on bail and they were he was just told you're not allowed to leave the area meanwhile the search for sarah escalated into a nationwide search the whole of england was looking for this little girl but with particular focus on the little hampton area 
the area where Roy Whiting lived. There was door-to-door knocking and potential eyewitnesses did come forward with information, hoping it would help in finding the little girl. Two days after Sarah's disappearance, her parents, Michael and Sarah, made an emotional televised appeal, appealing for whoever took their daughter to please return her safely. Police informed the media that Sarah has been abducted. She has not wandered off. She has been taken. Police continue to scour the area looking for clues and suspects. Convicted sex offenders were questioned and every police force in the country was involved in the hunt. And this leads to the arrest of a second and different man who is also eventually released on bail because, again, they didn't have anything. By Friday the 7th of July, Sarah Payne's parents had made a daily nationally televised appeals. It was after a week later that the police decided to scale down the search. They needed to be more focused on specific localised leads, including going into the claims of abduction attempts. So like if like if a child was nearly abducted and the parents report that they need to like go into like can they get more information from this near abductee but the police were not getting anywhere and any dna tests they were doing were just coming back inconclusive they were getting they were getting nowhere so the police decided they needed to like reconstruct sarah's abduction in the hopes it would jog somebody's memory like maybe they didn't realize they had seen it and it seemed to work the next day Police sifted through 3,500 calls from the public, all with very potential leads. Using this information, the police were able to make a line up for Lee Payne, Sarah's older brother, to hopefully identify the scruffy man. Roy Whiting was in the lineup, but Lee could not be sure. He probably seen this scruffy man from like a real distance like it's a lot to point the finger at someone if you're not sure and it's better not to so nobody was fingered from the lineup police set up roadblocks and interviewed motorists asking them if they had seen strange activity of a white van or a silver car it's so vague like how are you meant to remember that there's so many white vans and silver cars On the 10th of July, police announced that they had received information regarding the sighting of a girl who matched Sarah's description. The person had seen a child wearing the same clothes as well. So this information said they think they had seen Sarah on the motorway on the morning after her disappearance. On the 13th of July, it's nearly been two weeks since Sarah's disappearance. Police told Michael and Sarah they had to prepare for the worst. It was all too possible. It was getting more and more likely that Sarah was not going to be returned safe and well. And the police were right. Only four days after this, on the 17th of July, a little female body was found 
in a field, 15 miles from where Sarah had disappeared. It was Sarah, the eight-year-old's naked, mutilated and decomposing body was found in a shallow grave only six inches deep. Like that, a murder investigation commenced. Now, a spoiler alert, Roy Whiting is our man, so I'm not going to do like a whole mysterious reveal in this episode. A scruffy, 42-year-old mechanic. Ugh. (laughs) Scruffy is a fitting adjective. (laughs) Roy was a known and convicted sex offender paedophile. He was a paedophile, not just a sex offender, a sex offender of children. And he was routinely questioned throughout the whole course of the investigation. The whole course of looking for Sarah. They knew that that this was their man. He was first questioned about Sarah Payne only 24 hours after she had disappeared. See, Roy lived only five miles away from where Sarah had disappeared. After questioning Roy, police officers left his flat suspicious of his lack of concern for the missing child. Although, I don't know, do predators have emotional concerns for children? Like, do they? Or like, do they just see them as objects? Or like the enemy, you know, like that make them think bad thoughts? I don't know. It's hard to know. Do they Do they feel empathy? So anyway, yeah, the police are banging on Roy's door all the time, interviewing him, asking him where he was, what does he know, blah, blah, blah. On one occasion, Roy was trying to dodge the police and refused to open his door to them. Just sort of like stayed in the house and pretended he wasn't there. So the police just waited outside his flat and waited for him to leave. And Roy did. He went to leave, he got in his van and police stop. Driving a little white van. Police stopped and arrested him. Roy spent two days in custody. Again, unfortunately, the police had had no concrete evidence on him, except for a petrol receipt at a petrol station, which which contradicted his alibi. He had told police he was at the fun fair on the night of Sarah's disappearance. But this receipt proved, no, you were on the road, you were driving, and you stopped and got petrol. Again, Roy was released on bail. Who's bailing him out all the time? Can you bail yourself out? Upon his release, Roy did not return to his Little Hampton flat as anti-pedophile vigilante mobs had thrown bricks through his window. They were convinced he was a pedophile, which he was, and he had abducted Sarah Payne, which he has. So basically, Roy is like in hiding and sleeping rough. On the 20th of July, three days after Sarah Payne's body was found, Sarah's little shoe was recovered from the roadside three miles from Pulborough. This was where Roy had stopped to get petrol. Ah, see, the receipt came in useful. After all, it didn't just contradict an alibi, it proved his location. 
That's pure jammy. Sarah's shoe had made the news. It was the only item of clothing of hers that was recovered. Roy knew it was just a matter of time until police came for him and arrested him again and he knew his days were numbered. So in the wee hours of the morning, for some reason, Roy stole a car and changed the number plates. Thankfully, somebody seen him do this and reported him to the police saying this dude, (laughs) this scruffy looking dude has stole a car and he's changing the number plates, blah, blah, blah. This is where they are. Police find the car and holy smokes, a car chase ensued. Roy floored it and was going up to 70 miles an hour in a little Vauxhall Nova. And this was all in the town streets. This is not a motorway. He's going 70 miles an hour in little English town streets. Like, it's so crazy. Like, he could kill somebody. It's so dangerous. Well, like, he doesn't care, does he? So reckless. Eventually, the idiot crashed into a parked vehicle. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. Roy was arrested on the scene and charged with dangerous driving. He admitted to the charges and was jailed for 22 months, which is perfect. Finally, detectives have Roy exactly where they want him. He couldn't go anywhere. He was always at arm's reach, always available for questioning. While he was in jail for reckless driving, detectives were able to seize his white van and do forensic tests. On his 1988 Fiat van, a white van, and Roy had only bought this van a week, one week, before Sarah's disappearance. It seems like he was planning something, right? Following seven months of investigation and interrogation, finally, on the 6th of February 2001, Roy was finally charged with the abduction and murder of Sarah Payne. Roy's trial began on the 14th of November 2001. And what do you think he pleaded? Not guilty, of course, of course. He thinks he's innocent of these charges, both charges. In Roy's defence, Roy basically argued that he just didn't do it. He wasn't there. He didn't have an alibi for his whereabouts on the day or evening that Sarah went missing. He claimed he had blanks in his memory on that day. I thought you went to the fun fair. The jury heard from several witnesses. The key witness was Sarah Payne's older brother, Lee, who stated that he had seen a scruffy man with yellowish teeth driving by on the day that his sister went missing. And can we just double check that this matches the description? Scruffy with yellow teeth? (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, I hope nobody describes me as scruffy with yellow teeth. Dude, I drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) At the trial, two motorists also testified that they had seen a parked white van on the roadside on the evening that Sarah went missing, which is not really much evidence if you think about it. Vans park all the time. Although, 
No, I don't think I would remember if somebody was parked, or if a van was parked on a motorway. I don't think I would. Now, I know that fiber forensics is not all it's cracked up to be, and we've moved along a long way since then. But on Sarah's found shoe was fibers that matched the fibers from Roy's van. And tell me, how did an eight-year-old, like, get into a van? She was in a cornfield. And note, this was the only item of clothing that was ever recovered. So it was, like, the only, like, forensic evidence they could do. Like, they couldn't, you know, they, like, they had to go with what they had. But the real clincher that sealed this case was a hair, a little blonde hair, found on Roy's t-shirt. A DNA test of the hair established that there was a one in billion chance of it belonging to anyone else but Sarah. <clears throat> this part is a bit sick. Um, I will put up a trigger warning. I'm going to, I'm going to describe the van Trigger warning, no. It was proved in court that Roy was out hunting for children. Being a mechanic and obviously good with his hands, he had tricked and transformed his van into what was described as a moving prison. The white van contained ropes, ties, soft material, baby oil, and a knife. The court heard that Sarah's makeshift burial site that was six inches deep would have only taken about six minutes to dig. Like, how careless and disrespectful and cocky. The pathologist who analysed Sarah's body told the court that the eight-year-old had met a violent death and that she was the victim of a sexually motivated homicide. On the 12th of December 2001, with Christmas just around the corner, after a four-week trial, Roy Whiting was found guilty. He was found guilty of the abduction as well as the murder of Sarah Payne. Roy Whiting was sentenced to a minimum of 50 years in prison meaning he was ineligible for parole until he was 92 years old. This was later reduced by 10 years, so he has to serve 40, and um, so he'll be 82. Sarah Payne's mother, Sarah Payne, she was disappointed with this. She believed that Roy should have got a whole life tariff, and there was debate that he should have. He was a re-offender and a brutal re-offender. He shouldn't have the possibility of parole. She was disappointed. She said life should mean life. It wasn't until after the trial that Roy's previous convictions were revealed to the public. These had been withheld from the media and the jury. And quite rightly so. Like, it, like this information could have jeopardised the trial and the conviction. Like he could argue that the prior knowledge meant he didn't get a fair trial. It was not 
it was an unjust trial. Uh, he could appeal and then get free in a few years. So it was a good thing that nobody knew. So he was able to get the largest slap on the wrist, like the largest sentence he could, but he didn't. It was good they didn't know. But the fact that Roy was a repeat offender, sexual offender, sparked demands for the government to allow controlled access to the sex offenders register. The government were not initially on board with this idea. They argued that an open sex offender list could mean that sex offenders just become more careful. They go underground and they perform their crimes more in the dark. If they're in society, they're easier to see, uh, easier to keep an eye on. I don't know. I see both sides. This is why I don't make laws. But another point uh, that the government was making was that having a list, like a public list, could make, could jeopardize people's lives, like people looking for vigilante justice, putting people's lives and property at risk. Like if you smash in a paedophile's house, yeah, you're scaring the paedophile, but that's probably a house by the government or there's a landlord and you're smashing that person's property. You know what I mean? Like there's layers. There's layers. Now, around the time of Sarah's disappearance, the News of the World spearheaded a campaign for Sarah's law, similar to Megan's law. The Payne family backed the campaign as they were 100% sure that it was a paedophile who had abducted their child and had been responsible for her murder. And they were obviously proven right. The Payne's and the News of the World, they argued that public access would have saved Sarah and other children's lives. In the end, Sarah's law was put into place. It was slightly different to what the campaign demanded, but the law allows parents to ask the police if anybody who is in contact with their child is on the sex offender list. Since the tragic murder, Sarah Payne has released a book detailing the events and after events and you know life and stuff like that but unfortunately Sarah's dad Michael could not handle what had happened to his daughter it totally destroyed him the pains uh, their marriage they were married for 18 years and they they separated Michael became a lonely alcoholic and was jailed for over a year for drunkenly attacking his brother with a glass. On the 30th of October 2014, Michael was found dead. He had died of alcohol-related illnesses, and he lay there dead for several days before his body was discovered. And that is the end of this awful tragic infamous case the abduction and murder of Sarah Payne. 
Now, you may have noticed I didn't go into Roy Whiting that much. Tune in to the next episode when I will be delving into the background of this creep and what happened to him in prison. Slan!